Do you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation? I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at christinemeyermd.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together we can build better ones. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We are talking about a subject near and dear to my heart, and actually probably on everybody's mind this time of year, with short days and the holidays. We could get a little blue, and for some people, that blueness is much more significant. It can be a medical diagnosis, clinical depression or anxiety, which can actually disrupt our lives and our quality of lives. And unfortunately, for as good as medicine has gotten over the years, we still do a pretty rotten job when it comes to talking to patients about their mental health. I think there's still this stigma out there that, you know, if life is good and you have it all going for you, like you should just be able to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. But obviously, we know that for a lot of people, their mental health struggles are way, way, way more than what life has afforded them. So my guest today is kindly and generously opened herself up to talk about this really important topic. Amy, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to share. Thank you so much. So tell me just a little bit about your personal journey with mental health issues. Yeah, so I honestly think that it probably goes way back to college where, you know, just I can remember certain times in my life through college where, you know, I might have thought like slept a lot more or just not as been as active as I could have been and didn't feel as engaged in life in general in college. But it really did feel like it came in waves. And I think, you know, through the time, like as, as life kind of goes on, you know, there's ebbs and flows in different seasons to life. So you just kind of chalk it up to that. And then really, you know, realized that, gosh, I, I think something more needs to be done was really when I remember coming in for my, like it was an annual physical, I think, with you as my doctor. And you picked up on just asking the question, I think, because we knew each other for so long, like, how are you doing? Mm. And I just remember, like, and this is, you know, after being married, have two kids, a successful career. And I just remember, I think I started sobbing. Mm. And I remember, like, coming into that physical, which I thought, gosh, I'll just get my flu shot, my blood pressure <laughs> and all that good stuff. And, but like prior to that feeling, like I had been in such a fog, mm-hmm. literally it felt like a fog, like a mm-hmm. haze and just not being able to clearly think and just almost like spiraling. I can remember driving to work and almost wondering if I had IBS, like having to like pull over from it, from anxiety. Cause I thought I was going to not to be too much, but like, <laughs> like have an accident or something. Yeah, no, I hear you. Oh my God. Manifesting in ways that I just never made the connection that, gosh, maybe this is something like mental health. And I think, 
way back in what in college, I can remember there may have been a medical provider that had picked up on it in, you know, one of our consultations and immediately without really an explanation as to why prescribed, I think it was like Paxil or something like that. But I didn't understand the side effects. I didn't understand why, like any of that. And honestly, I think I took it for a week and then I just stopped. And, you know, I was like in college. So I don't think I ever went back until I was in or something. So that's kind of how it started. So that's really interesting. You said so many interesting things there. So first of all, just to skip way, way, way ahead. So you obviously put out some kind of vibe to this medical provider while you were in college that there was something going on, whether it was clinical depression or anxiety or, you know, being an overwhelmed college student, but something prompted this healthcare provider to write you a prescription for Paxil, which if I'm going through the algorithms in my brain, like that's medically a correct thing to do. But Mm -hmm. this is almost like, like my daughter is a sophomore in high school and she's doing complicated math now. And it's all about showing your work, right? So she can arrive at the right answer, but if she hasn't gone through all of those steps to show her work, like it doesn't count at all. So to me, you know, that prescription for Paxil without any kind of conversation about what that doctor thought, why he thinks you need it, what you could expect from it, the downsides, that's like getting to the answer correctly, but not showing your work, right? Right. And so I think because of that, it didn't resonate with me at the time that, Mm -hmm. oh, like this is something that is there to help me. I didn't really understand the why. And, you know, here we are. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic learning point, you know, about you can get the diagnosis right and you can get the treatment right, but there's a whole lot of conversation that has to happen in between those two things to make a patient's life better, which is the ultimate goal, right? So you also mentioned physical symptoms. You you said that you'd been like kind of tired, this IBS thing. Tell me about more of those physical symptoms that you were having before you concluded that this was really more a mental health thing. Yeah, so they were all kind of sporadic over the years, I think, leading up to that pivotal moment where I started taking the medication I'm on today that has literally been life-changing. And I can remember, like I shared, you know, the IBS symptoms coming from what I know now was probably an anxiety attack and just feeling Mm -hmm. like the cold sweats and feeling like I was, I had to go to the bathroom and now, and like, (laughs) And that's like scary when you're on 76 trying to get into work and there's nowhere to go. So they're having crazy about that. So it was. Then I also just remember, you know, such a short fuse, not like me. I consider myself an eternal optimist. I think I'm like happy go lucky and I I love life. Mm. And so I think when I wasn't loving life for some reason or I could feel myself being negative, that then was something else for me to have anxiety about is kind of, it's just a beast and it just spins and it swirls and the tiredness, the fog, like the mental fog is real. Mm -hmm. And it was impacting me or I felt like it was impacting me at work. Of course, my, I've been blessed with really wonderful supervisors and leaders who 
you know, I've always said like, no, because I, I have a very open relationship with them where I'm like, hey, like I'm feeling like foggy. I remember this period in my life and just being very candid, like mm-hmm. I need to figure some stuff out. I was still successful at work and they yeah. didn't think it was impacting me. But for me, it was like the effort to put forward the same quality of work. It felt like it was taking effort than normal. Right, right. So you ultimately, your diagnosis is what? What would you say your mental health diagnosis is? Anxiety. I mean, I'm trying to think back to my printout of what it actually is, but definitely anxiety. I definitely feel the seasonal, you know, depression without Mm -hmm. the sun. So like, you know, now I know I need to make it a point to get outside. And, you know, I luckily I I have the horses that help me with that, you know, whenever I get a chance. So I I definitely want to talk to you a little more about the non-medical options. That's that's going to be so helpful. But so anxiety and you basically went through different stages of life and your anxiety would manifest in different ways, right? So when you're in college, you're overwhelmed and you're, you know, withdrawing from people and that sort of thing. And then when you have a spouse, (laughs) you have an outlet for your short fuse, right? So you're snappy. But the consequences as you get older with whatever it is, anxiety or depression or OCD, whatever the diagnosis, the consequences seem to get higher and higher, right? Because now it's not just like your grades that are impacted, it's your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your career. So you had this mental fog, your bosses were like, hey, you're doing great, don't worry about it. But you somehow internally know something's wrong, like I'm really struggling to put out my best work here. And I know it shouldn't, it shouldn't be this hard, right? So what do you think the tipping point was? What do you think made you finally say, hey, I'm not just tired. I don't have IBS. I don't have my head underwater. This is anxiety. Where where did that moment happen for you? Honestly, I don't think I came to that realization by myself. And I really, truly think that it was probably a very observant doctor who knows me, you know, in that consultation being like, Oh, this is not, this is not you. Like something else is going on and just asking open-ended questions to understand. And I remember like, to your point, you're absolutely right. Like back in the day when, you know, I was at a different stage in my life, I didn't have this many responsibilities. I could call my really good friend, Lauren, she won't mind me giving her a shout out and saying like, Hey, like, let's grab some beer and go sit on your, on your stoop, you know, after work. And like, that would temporarily make it feel better. I realized that wasn't a healthy outlet, but like, Hey, we were in our early twenties and it was fine. But then as you have more responsibilities, like you can't, you can't do that. And so it was impacting my relationship with my husband And just, you know, I didn't feel like I was the best mom for my kids. And so there was more at stake. And I don't think I quite realized what the issue was until I remember I was sitting on that piece of paper on the the bench. (laughs) And and, um, you had explained to me that like, hey, have you ever explored a little something to help with this? Like a little medication. And I clearly remember the conversation. I actually tell my friends who are going through challenges or whatever the case might be, the same thing you told me, which is like, 
you have this bucket of serotonin. I always use the bucket analogy. I can't believe you remember that. Oh my gosh, I do. I share it with everybody. This bucket of serotonin that like, you know, when you don't, you think you even said like when you don't have as many responsibilities, it's more easily refillable or like you dip into it, but then your brain can easily refill it. But sometimes you're depleting it faster than you can refill it. And that's Mm -hmm. when this medication steps in and helps. And honestly, that um, analogy and visualization in my head, it made sense. And even though I have always been like a big proponent of getting the help you need, like whether it's therapy or medication, like do it, I never thought about it for myself. And Mm -hmm. hearing that analogy really really helped. And in some way, it wasn't as scary as saying like thinking like, Oh, I need to take something to make myself be a better Better person for myself to show up right now or to help. So you, so you filled your serotonin bucket. I don't remember to be honest with you, Amy was the first medicine we tried the right medicine. Yeah, it's the one I'm same dose and everything that I'm on today, actually. So what are you on? Citalopram, I think? Citalopram, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to talk about like when we don't get it right, right away. And I think you can speak to that because you've actually tried to come off of your medicine. So do you think that if, I, I love that, I feel so honored that you had comfort enough with me to have this conversation, but to also remember these details because- I don't remember very much of anything these days, but um, so do you think that if the first medicine hadn't worked, I know this is asking you to kind of like hindsight, but do you think you would have lost confidence in the whole idea and been like, this can't be it because like, I don't feel any better. or In fact, I feel worse. How important do you think it is to get it right as fast as possible? In the state that I was in at that time, I think, I mean, it helped me tremendously. Of course, like there's the ramp up period. I remember like the first week I was like, this is not doing anything, but I had faith that something would work and that it would, you know, I was, it was almost the act of taking something and taking control of the situation that that actually helped in and of itself. So I, for me personally, if that first medication didn't work, I would have been open to trying something else because it felt so good to take that action to get to a better place. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's so good. So you, so you associate, you know, the act of opening a bottle, taking a pill out and swallowing it with, you know, an action, an actionable thing that you can do to make yourself better. And then do you think that that empowerment led to other things. So besides filling your serotonin bucket, what other things in life did you do or change? Yeah. So I don't, I definitely see this as a correlation because I started to feel better. I started to take actions to improve my health, not only mentally, but also physically. So, I mean, exercise, it plays a huge role in it introduced horses back into my life more regularly, which is huge for me, just nature and like horses are my passion. And so just having that time, just thinking about it right now just makes me happy. And really turning off social media when I needed to, I think at the time, honestly, I took a 
a two year social media break. And wow. I think I just started it up a few few years ago, because now I think it's been about five or six years since I've been on this medication. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness, so, well, meditation, well, like, yes, yeah, so it led to a lot of things, a lot of other things besides yeah. taking medication, and all together seem to have really helped you. It did. And I would almost say so much so is like what you alluded to earlier to the fact where like, I think it was like six weeks ago or a month ago or something like that, where I emailed you and I was like, life could not be better. I am doing all the things that, and and I feel like almost a jerk saying that, like, (laughs) I feel like, how is this possible that things are going so well? Like work is great. Life is great. I'm spending time with the horses. Like I am so happy. Like, do I need this medication anymore? So I went off of it for one week. I lasted one week. And let me tell you that week I was snapping. I felt full of rage. <laughs> like it was like my husband was on eggshells. And I'm not saying that this is everybody's experience at all, but that was so eye opening to me where I was just like, whoa. You know, like I am just going to keep going. And then, of course, there were some selfish reasons as well. Like I had one of my friends was like, oh, well, maybe try this different one because it has like weight loss benefits. And so I remember emailing you about that. And you were like, that one's probably not right because it doesn't check the anxiety box. And I was (laughs) like, all right. Like, you know, so. Well, so let's talk about that too for a second. Let's talk about two things the social media. And the access to information, which I think go together and yeah. how those two things impact not just our health and wellness, you know, cause Dr. Google is definitely a thing, but mental health specifically. So can you tell me about why did you take the hiatus from social media? What, what about social media made you feel worse? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a challenging time in my life. I remember in that. I didn't feel like my relationships were where they needed to be. I think what really bothered me was that social media really only seems to post the the vanity and all the good things in life. And it's very easy to compare yourself to others and not, I have so much to be thankful for and I always have, but I think it's human nature to just try to to compare yourself. And so that wasn't good for me in the moment. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I also really knew that I needed the time to focus on what was important to me, which because I felt like my relationships were struggling, I really wanted to focus on my relationships to better them because that was what was most important to me. I also wanted to take time for myself to better myself, both professionally, I think I started my MBA during that two-year hiatus and also Mm -hmm. like really focus on my career and my kids. And that's what I did. And it it was great. And I feel like now I I have a much healthier relationship with it than I did in the past. Right. I love that. I almost think that should be like a mandatory thing for everybody. Just like take a break, walk away from it. For me, you know, I love social media. I think that it's a fantastic way to get a really important message out to a lot of people. But as a business or as a career person, 
social media, especially the last couple of years, has really brought out like the worst in people. So people can't just like disagree with your position, right? Or something you said. It, it has become like this vehement, like full of vitriol nastiness, right? So I've seen people lose friends over things they post on social media or have families kind of fractured over things that they said or commented on via social media. So for you, it was a very, you know, self-preserving decision and the right decision. But in general, I mean, we know this from statistics too, people are not happier since the advent of Facebook and Instagram. People are generally less happy. Would you say now that you have a healthy relationship with social media or healthier relationship with mm -hmm. social media, is there a way that you can connect your improved mental health with your social media? Have you made new connections? Have you shared with people? Or are you kind of private about that? Yeah, no, I share with everybody. I feel like I'm a pretty open book with everybody about, I call it better living through chemistry. Yeah. It's like how I approach it. And just because I think, and I know just from my conversations with people that Mental health is real. I mean, there's different levels for everybody, and it is something that is just as important as your physical health care because it's all intertwined. And why you said this, I think, at the beginning that there is this stigma. I think the stigma is starting to change, which is like so needed because it is an empowering thing to take care of your mental health. And I know like my relationship with social media is healthier now to the point where I might see a family member post something that I don't agree with. It is like opposite end of the political spectrum or whatever the case might be. Right. But knowing like, hey, like let's pause. And I'm now able to have a really great conversation with that person. And I love them dearly. And we'll talk on the phone. And it's just, it is fantastic. And it's just knowing that people use that for different reasons and accepting people for where they are. I don't know that I would have been there without taking that break a few yeah. years ago, honestly. Well, it's almost like when you have the right amount of serotonin or your mental health is good, you can pause and backspace. So this, this happens to me a lot where it's usually an email, something, an email that triggers me, right? Like something, <laughs> it's something, you know, nasty. It's usually a complaint, a patient complaint or something, or, you know, something from an employee. And like my instinct always, and I think this is because I'm a type A person and I think you are too. And maybe we're more prone to things like anxiety because of that. Yeah. But my instinct is respond right now, get this check off my list. And so you, I type out this like short, irritated, bad tone, per my last email kind of <laughs> response. And every single time I send an email like that, I regret it every single time. Yeah. But when I'm in a good place and I know when I'm in a good place versus a bad place, I know that I can type out the entire email and then just backspace the entire email and never send it and feel very satisfied. Yeah. But when I'm in a bad place, I have to send <laughs> that. And I, if I could send it five times, I would. And nothing good ever comes of it. So when you're doing emails, responses like that, especially for work, that's where your mental health leads to an action 
which leads to a consequence, which can have a very big effect. Like for me, if I send a nasty response back to a patient who's maybe justified or maybe not, like I'm providing a customer service. Like I've fractured that relationship with that patient. They're never coming back. They'll probably leave me a one-star Google review. Like the downstream effects are huge. So do you think that citalopram and your horses and all your self-care, do you think it's lengthened your fuse or given you, you know, that time to pause before reacting to things? I think it's definitely contributed and helped. So yes, and I know that for a fact because of the week that I went off of Citalopram, <laughs> I did not have a pause at all. It was a super challenging week. I mean, it's not like it's a magic band-aid. Like I still have to definitely think about it, but what it allows me to do is to have the mental clarity to pause and think about it and also not stress about it after I have taken whatever action I've taken. That's right. Let it go. Do it. And I have a friend who has this saying, well, her dad has this saying, and I think about it all the time. He says, at some point, every baseball leaves the pitcher's hand. So, you know, saying like, you can wind up, you can train, you can do everything. But once that ball is out of your hand, like, that's it. Like, you got to let it go. And that's a very important serotonin thing too. So the action before you take the action, but also after you take the action, that's such a good point. You had the doctor that prescribed the Paxil, but didn't really tell you much about it when you were in college. Can you give me an example of the absolute wrong way we as doctors should talk to patients who present to us with a mental health issue? Like a bad, like, don't do this because this happens. Yeah. I mean, I have limited experience. It's really just the two. But I would say that I think what really resonated with me was explaining the why behind it and having compassion mm-hmm. and explaining like there are other options out there. If this one doesn't work, we have other tools in our tool belt to help you get to where you need to go. That was extremely helpful for me rather than being what felt like very clinical It's like the relationship management side of it is so important, I think, when talking about anything mental health and balancing that, obviously, with the, I would think, the practitioner side. Right. Um, And I guess maybe a question for you, if you don't mind, like, how do you know what medication to prescribe? Like, I know that you have like so many options out there. So I'm just like curious. And I do remember you actually giving me different options at the time. Now that I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Saying like, for me, you felt like this was the right choice. And here's why. Yeah. I'm just really curious as a doctor, how do you know? Because there's so many options. Well, to be totally transparent, most of the time we don't know. We make like, (laughs) we make sort of educated guesses. But I think this is probably a really important lesson for all clinicians that might be taking care of patients with mental health. Like not every patient with anxiety has the same kind of anxiety and not every patient with depression has the same kind of depression. And thankfully we live in an era of all different kinds of medicines. So for you, for example, I would say to myself, well, any medication that's a stimulant or has stimulant type properties 
like drugs like Wellbutrin or Bupropion is a generic. It's a fantastic antidepressant. It improves focus. It gets you motivated. It can help with brain fog and attention, but it can really trigger anxiety. So, you know, immediately in my head, I'm like, this is not a good choice for you. And then we always try to prescribe the medicine that seems to be the best tolerated and we cheat, you know, like I have 25 years of medical experience. So I'm like, well, I'm never prescribing that again because people had a crappy experience every single time. And then you find the ones that people generally do very well with. And citalopram tends to be that one. But for every time I get it right at the first crack, which is why I asked you that question about would you continued if it was wrong, I get it wrong a lot of times. So I think that's another communication piece between the patient and the doctor too. Like we need to hear you say, this isn't for me, this isn't working and here's why. And we also need to be, listen for that and be humble enough to say, okay, like I didn't get it right. I didn't invent this medicine. I just thought it would work and it didn't. So let's try something else. So openness on the patient's part, you know, openness on the clinician's part to take that information in. But I also think we as doctors can be impatient too. Like it's almost like, okay, here's your diagnosis. Here's your prescription. You'll be good. And then when you're not good, it's like, I'm not done with this one yet. Like there's another sock in the hamper (laughs) that I thought was empty. It's a terrible way to think about it. But I think a lot of doctors feel like that. Like I've given you a diagnosis. I've given you a treatment we should move on. And clearly, especially in mental health, that doesn't work. Have you heard from other people who, you mentioned friends who take different medications. Mm -hmm. Have they often had to go through, you know, the rounds of more than one medicine at a time? Yeah. So someone very close to me actually started on one medication and it just really didn't, it didn't have the outcomes that they were hoping for. So you know, it just like it didn't alleviate the symptoms that they went in with. So they did try a new medication. I don't remember what the names are, but mm-hmm. it's to be working, which is great. And then I have other friends who have been on the same medication for years and years and years, like like myself. And it's like, you know, it's working. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I think maybe a separate episode, we should have a conversation about how you as the patient talk to your doctor, like how you even broach the subject of, I need help, something's wrong. But since we've had such a good conversation about medication and that that end, I just want to talk a little bit about that, about, so, and you experienced it, right? So you, you have a problem, you're prescribed a medicine, it works, the problem has essentially resolved. What goes in your head when you're deciding I'm going to stop this medicine. Like, is it, <laughs> I don't want to swallow this tiny pill anymore. I know it's not, but yeah. <laughs> like, what's the, what's the driver oh, of that? God. For me, it was pure. And this is embarrassing, but I'll be vulnerable and just share. Mm-hmm. Like I know through Google that this medication has a side effect of weight gain where it's not much, but it does have that side effect. And as someone who is always wanting to try to, not gain any weight and lose as much weight as possible and partnered with the fact that like, Hey, I'm really happy. I'm doing really well. And I love life. Like life is really good right now. Like maybe that's something I can eliminate 
right now and maybe I'll be even happier because I'll lose an extra five or 10 pounds. I mean, I know that's not really, but no, that's so honest. And clearly for me, it didn't work, you know, after like, after a couple of days and the short fuses and things like that. But for me, that's what it was. And I, I was also just thinking like, gosh, I have all these other things in my life that I have put in place that have contributed to my full serotonin bucket. In addition to this mm-hmm. calipram, such as like, like I shared, like I'm exercising more, getting outside. I feel like I have good work-life balance. Work is going really well. I have good relationships. I spend time with the horses doing things I love. And I think I'm going to try without this and just see if I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It was purely for me, very selfishly, like, if this is going to help me lose a few pounds, and I'm going to try it. So did you did you feel like you had failed in some way when you had to start it again? No, because it, it helped so much. <laughs> like, I'm I remember so laughing, like, yeah. honestly, laughing. And again, just feeling like that week felt really not that was not a great week. I think I was self aware enough to be like, this is not working. And my husband and my two sons would like look at me when I would say something and they were like, woohoo, like making like little faces. (laughs) And so it was like, I'm lucky enough that I can find it comical, but it was not a great week. You know, not that I did anything terrible at work, but it wasn't my best week at work either. Like that fuse was so short at work that Mm. week. And I just knew that I knew what worked. So it was easy to start taking it again. And just, yes, move forward. So you, you were just this, I, like I, I have high blood pressure and I have to take a little pill and it irritates me so much for no good reason at all, because my blood pressure is good and I feel great. And why am I annoyed by this pill? But somehow I feel like I just want to try not to take it. And every time I stop it, my blood pressure goes up and I'm like, duh, why did I do that? (laughs) So if you were going to leave our listeners with a couple of points about how to talk to your clinician about a mental health issue and maybe your approach to medication. What what would you say are the most important points? Yeah, I think be as real as possible or just be as real as you can. Nothing is off the table. I think everything is interrelated, like how you're feeling physically to, to how you're feeling mentally. Like when when you go in and you're talking to your doctor, even however you communicate with your doctor, they're there to help you and there are tools out there to help you. So don't be afraid to use the tools because like they really are going to make improve your life. And, and I think there's nothing to be ashamed of to ask for that pill to help you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about my friends who have experienced it, myself who have experienced the help and life is hard. Like life is challenging mm-hmm. yeah. and it is not easy. So if there's something out there to help, then go for it. Go for it. Right. Because life is also very short. <laughs> yep. Awesome, Amy. Well, thank you so much. I know this was not easy to do. I mean, it's hard enough to talk to your doctor when you're in the safe space of an examining room, but to talk to your doctor in a setting where, you know, lots of people are going to listen to it, but do that for the good of 
others is so admirable and I very much appreciate it. And if I was going to just recap for our listeners, you know, the take home points that I got from you, which honestly were so helpful as a clinician, show your work. Like if you've gotten the diagnosis right and you've prescribed something, explain, talk to the patient about it. I think that's true of every medicine, but very specifically in the mental health arena. And number two for us clinicians is you won't get it right the first time every time. So when it's not right, be open to the feedback from the patient and don't take it as a personal insult to your you know, diagnostic abilities. It's not, it's just not every drug is right for every patient. And then for our patients listening, manifestations of depression, anxiety are so many different things that are outside of your mood. It's your fatigue. It's your, you know, IBS symptoms, irritable bowel syndrome. It's your brain fog. It's your short fuse. It's all of those things. And so recognizing that some of these symptoms may be more than just physical ailments and then having the courage to talk about them with a trusted healthcare provider. And I would say, if you're not sitting on that crunchy piece of paper, <laughs> feeling a great deal of anticipation, like, oh, I can't wait till he or she walks in this room so I can unload. If you don't feel that in your doctor's office, you probably aren't at the right doctor. Like if you're sitting there cringing, like, oh my God, I am so afraid to say this, then chances are you're not in a good enough relationship for your needs at the time. So I would, you know, be selfish yeah. about that. Do you definitely need to be comfortable, especially in the mental health arena? Well, again, Thank you so much, Amy. I am so grateful. I hope you'll come back and talk to me some more. I want to talk to you a little bit yeah. about the prequel, if you will, those college years and you know all the symptoms leading up to the ultimate diagnosis. But in the yeah. meantime, you have been terrific. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate the plug for me personally as a doctor. Oh my God, <laughs> it was so nice. <laughs> awesome. All right, Amy, you have a great day. I'll talk to you, you soon. Too. Thank you all for right. having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare.